0: Welcome to the VMOX Road to Mobile Victory podcast. Enterprise mobility is bigger and more complicated than ever. In this series, we'll talk about the latest trends, inspiring success stories, and simple and effective tips for managing your corporate mobile assets, expenses, and services. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Andrea Libby, Director of Marketing at VMOX. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the biggest global enterprise mobility trends, impacting companies in 2023 and beyond, as well as strategies for success. Joining me today is Ben Kreese, VMOX Director of Client Experience. In addition to his role in client experience, Ben also supports our growing global operations and is a proud UK resident. Welcome, Ben.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so I usually like to begin with a fun question, as people know, so listeners can get to know our new guests. Um, have you ever done an extreme sport like skydiving or bungee jumping or something out there?
1: <laughs> I, I, I do know you like a fun question. I wasn't expecting. Uh, <laughs> wasn't expecting that. Um, yes, yes, actually, um, I skydived when I was in New Zealand um wow and, and actually I think on our last chat I talked about New Zealand so maybe I talk about New Zealand too often but um <laughs> but yes I skydived in New Zealand um in the North Island there is a large lake called Lake Taupo and mm. I went skydiving when I was there and um I think at the time you had a choice of heights you could skydive from 10,000 feet 12,000 feet oh. f- 15,000 feet and I went with the fifteen thousand feet on the logic. Well, if my parachute fails at ten thousand feet, it, it doesn't really matter if it's ten or fifteen thousand. It's gonna, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna hurt. So, um, yeah, might as well go for the highest height. And uh, and it was great fun. Um, I will admit, when that that light went green, you know, like in the movies, the light goes green and the door yeah. opens. Uh, I was terrified at that point. But um, you know, once you get your feet on the ground, it's all over. You know, the adrenaline's pumping and it's it's fantastic. Um, wow. wow! So yeah, highly recommend it.
0: That sounds amazing. Well, I have not done skydiving or bungee jumping or anything. Um I would say my wildest my wildest adventure was I did paraglide um over okay. the Swiss Alps in oh, nice. Interlaken in Switzerland. And for me that was pretty amazing. Um and pretty high. So I'm gonna count that as a win, but at this point I really wanna go to New Zealand. So if we talk about it on our next episode, it's gonna be <laughs> I think we, it's gonna be a given. <laughs> We've we got
1: to find a way to talk about it in every every episode. Yeah.
0: <laughs> True. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. I think the reality is that inflation continues to run at you know these multi decade highs and we have these flows in geopolitics, energy, economics, and all of this has companies spinning, right? And experts are saying that this global recession in 2023 is inevitable, right? We're going to hit it. And I imagine that's scary to a lot of people and not in a fun way. So, you know, from your perspective, how can those responsible for managing mobile expenses and devices do today to prepare for a recession?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's a good question. And and I think you're absolutely right. It's, it is somewhat inevitable. And I think we all feel it in our personal finances and our business finances that you know this inflation is kind of running crazy. Um, and I've worked in this industry quite a long time and, and I've been for a few downturns um, through my tenure. Uh, and actually, and, and maybe counterintuitively, I find that demand for managed mobility services increases during hmm. economic downturns. Um, because if you think about it, what is managed mobility at its core? It's about driving efficiencies, process improvements. It's about driving uh, cost savings, uh, yeah. and all the things companies want to do at, at those times. So, um, you know, we, we work a lot with customers to try and drive those sort of things into their programs, whether it's a, a downturn or not. And there's lots of areas we could focus on. And you know, I often talk to clients around policy and how the policy mm-hmm. reflects to you know all the decisions they're making. And obviously, if, if your employee base are aware that we're moving into perhaps a, a harder economic time, I think they're more accepting of you perhaps changing your policy to reflect that. So think about things like device refresh cycles. You know, I mm-hmm. think a few years ago, everybody expected a new device every 12 to 24 months, whereas now I think it, it's more acceptable. And most people realize that a phone is a phone as long as it's a relatively new model with yeah. uh, most of the key feature functionality, does it matter if you've not got quite the latest model? So I see people kind of moving away from the idea that you have to refresh as frequently. uh, And of course that's a policy piece. Um, Certainly look at policy through the lens of what should your users be doing or not doing with their devices. um, And that really comes to a user education policy uh, policy view that you know a lot of companies overlook you know they focus on how do i negotiate a better rate with a carrier or how do i get better handsets Mm -hmm. at a cheaper price but actually user education can be far more powerful tool in terms of driving down costs if you can educate the users if they can see that the way they use their mobile devices the choices they make have a real impact to the uh, bottom line of their company It does and often will positively impact their behavior. Um, And people always focus on the, you know, the the extremes. You know, I remember working with a a company who's one of their users um, spent $20,000 in a single month um, Uh when they they were traveling in the Middle East um, and they were streaming um, football or or soccer, as you would say, uh, soccer matches on their phone while they were travelling and they spent $20,000 uh, and I actually got the chance to speak to that user and uh, it was a very polite civil conversation but I I said to them if you think about that $20,000 you've spent on your phone that's money that your company could have used to invest in training to invest in personal development to give mm-hmm. bonuses or pay rises and I think if you can get people of that point of view to to view if i'm more sensible with my mobile device that could uh, positively impact the bottom line, which can positively impact me further uh, in my career, um, it can be quite a powerful tool.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's good advice. So downturns you know, can be great times, as you mentioned, for companies to make really bold changes or maybe, maybe rethink some of those traditional strategies. You know, One area is mobile device leasing and purchasing. You know, what shifts have you seen in the US, Europe, maybe and elsewhere in the world regarding this?
1: Yeah, you, the, the device leasing and purchasing is a really interesting one. And historically, when you think about managing a mobility program, everybody really zones in on, on the airtime, on the cost of you know, making calls, mm-hmm. data, etc. Um, but but really, the biggest cost nowadays is is the hardware itself. You know, these, these uh, connected devices, these iPhones, iPads, Samsungs, etc. You know, they're hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And so looking at things like device leasing and purchasing is a good way of, of positively impacting your costs um, and I do see a big trend for that and, and maybe more so in Europe on the device leasing side um, in the US you tend to have this subsidized device model where people buy the devices with the airtime from the carrier um, whereas in Europe and other parts of the world it is much more common that you're buying the device outright at cost from the carrier um, and what we've kind of seen over the last maybe five years is a lot of companies breaking that link between the carrier and the hardware. So rather than buying the hardware and the airtime from the carrier, they start to look elsewhere for the hardware. And that can lead them to third party hardware suppliers. And there's lots of them in the market um, or, or directly from the manufacturer themselves. And that can bring you obviously price efficiencies. Um, Mm -hmm, It can bring you mm -hmm. uh, economies of scale um, because often if you're buying from a carrier, that means you're buying at a local level, i.e. you're buying per country level. But if you are um, operating in multiple countries and you look at one of these third-party hardware suppliers, often they can deliver to you across multiple countries, meaning you can get that uh, economies of scale. You should buy more devices from one supplier. It it also brings process efficiencies because rather than dealing with lots of different um, carriers, you're dealing with perhaps one hardware supplier. And there's a lot to be said for that in terms of you yeah. know, time and energy. Um, Interesting. The other thing you said about you know device leasing, that again I see is pretty popular uh, or becoming increasingly popular here in, in Europe. The idea really being that you take that capital expense of buying the hardware up front and turn it into an operational expense um, that you pay a monthly uh, amount towards. And it's a bit like leasing a car and, and of course models are different in different places, but typically you lease a car, you pay a certain amount a month and at the end you don't necessarily own that car, you might hand the keys back and then get another yeah. car, and that's the, you know, the same model with mobile devices. You you pay a much lower price point, but at the end of the, the two years, let's call it, you don't own the device, but you trade it in and get the next model, which typically again aligns with you know refresh cycles, etc. So mm-hmm. that's I think increasingly an option people are looking at to reduce the cost and to, as I say, convert from a capex to an opex. Um, the final piece I hear in terms you know in terms of changes to what companies are doing. I do see a rise in in demand and interest in in what we call uh, self-pay, which is -hmm. essentially splitting the cost of the mobile device between the company and the user. So, you know, especially if you're looking to reduce costs but not impact your user experience, it it can be a really good model. Um, So let's take a scenario where the company might say, I'm going to give a $500 stipend to all of my users to buy their mobile device. Um, they're entitled or very welcome to have a device that's more expensive than $500. um, But if they do, then they would pay the difference and they would do that through, you know, processing perhaps a credit card transaction with a a supplier like Vmox. Um, And again, I think that's a really useful tool to give choice to your users. You know, people want choice Mm -hmm. nowadays. um, But at the same time, not just opening the checkbook and paying any amount uh, across the the user base.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a a win-win on both sides for sure. you know, there's a lot of discussion about data. And we know that businesses consume, create, and use lots of data, especially the guy who is <laughs> had, what was it, ten or $20,000 worth of costs there. And that reliance on data is just getting bigger all the time. Um, you know, the concept of unlimited data is certainly not new, right? Um, it can be traced back to the, the 3G era. But what do you think the future looks like for unlimited data plans? Are you seeing differences from country to country or from carrier to carrier?
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to make generalizations because obviously if yeah. we think about how many countries there are in the world and how many carriers there are, you know, I can't make a, too many sweeping generalizations. But unlimited... It feels like it comes somewhat cyclical. Your point is traces back to the 3G era, which, Mm -hmm. you know, how long ago was that? Now, you know, 10 plus years, I suppose. Um, It it feels like it comes in cycles and and it's very hot right now in the US. um, And lots of companies looking at it. And I I work with lots of companies that are exploring how best to to build Unlimited into their environment. And, And I say that purposely because... Going just blanket with you all unlimited may work for some companies, but for a lot, actually having a blended model of some unlimited, some traditional kind of pooled models or um, individual you know, plan feature models can be much more efficient. And so taking a, a holistic view across all of the options and, and blending those together is often better than just taking one approach. Um, but as I say, certainly very hot in the US. Um, in the UK, maybe about six years ago, it started getting really hot as well. Um, a lot of what was called all-inclusive or, or self-optimizing plans started to become very popular. Um, and they still are popular, but I do see companies now increasingly looking back to the um, more traditional pooled or individual plan models. Because, again, it gives you that little bit more control. And uh, typically, you're not paying for things you're not using if you if you can um, tweak the individual plans a little bit more than Unlimited allows you to do. Um and then in other parts of the world, you know, Western Europe and, uh, you know, if you look to APAC and LATAM, I do see unlimited, but, but with a lot less um, frequency than, hmm. uh, than perhaps in the US and, and the UK. Uh, and it is, I think, more traditionally those pooled models where you're buying a pool of data or minutes across your fleet of devices. Um, so, so lots of variation, again, hard to generalize. Um, and I think it's just a cycle we keep going through with companies shifting to and from, from Unlimited.
0: Yeah, you know, I think, especially maybe for in the US right now, it seems like a lot of businesses are looking at um, unlimited plans company wide, right? They see it as this um, new set it and forget it type strategy that kind of removes, removes a lot of risk, it reduces their costs, and even maybe the need for oversight, they say, hey, we can go on unlimited, we're good. Um, you know, that's, there's certainly a lot to unpack there and, and understand about unlimited, but, you know, curious to hear your thoughts, you know, what, what are teams potentially overlooking when they make this decision and, you know, how can, especially medium and large companies use unlimited plans to their advantage?
1: Yeah, the, um, the kind of set it and forget is, is you know, very appealing, I'm sure to lots of companies. And, um, and to some degree, that's what the carriers want you to do. They want you to, to yeah. set and forget. Um and the reality is a well-managed mobility program with the right tools and expertise behind it, I, I think, will always be more efficient and cheaper than a set-and-forget unlimited plan. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the start. You know, often if you move to an unlimited plan, you'd see an immediate savings. But over time, what I've seen with clients that have moved is you gradually have that scope creep of price going up. Um, yep. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that these unlimited plans are all-inclusive or self-optimizing, whatever terminology is used in different parts of the world they're not really truly unlimited. You know, there's the small print, there's the fair usage policies. Mm. Yeah. Um, and i work with plenty of companies where I've had to really demonstrate to them that, yes, it's called unlimited, but if I look in a small print, you've got a cap of data um, and a fair usage policy. And if I model their usage out and I look at the, you know, year-on-year increases that by year two, you're going to be over the fair usage policy and starting to incur overage. Um, and you know, in some companies, uh, some countries, sorry, that overage would cost you, you know, dollars, pounds, euros, whatever. Um, in mm-hmm. others, it might be to do with the user experience and things like speed throttling, um, and that's yep. big. You know, big in the US. A lot of the US models um, for unlimited have um, a fair usage policy that has a speed throttle, and that can really impact your user experience. And um, of course, if you have people in the field who are reliant on these devices, um, and they suddenly get the speed throttled, it can have a you know, real impact to productivity. Um, And so whenever you're looking at things like Unlimited, you know, you have to measure it against what's your actual environment and usage, what's your business needs. Um, Yes, you might save a quick buck, but over the long term, will it hurt you or cause some aggravation within the user base? Um, And really just think about if I go down this route and set and forget, where might I be three years from now? That could be a very different place to where you are today
0: yeah, I think you know that that's true. I think a lot of companies are just looking at the immediate short term, um, but not necessarily thinking you know, two, three, four years down the road and you know that impact to their program. Okay, rapid fire session to okay. close our to close our chat. I want you to give it to me straight. <laughs> I want you to I want you to use your your knowledge, your expertise, um, and just let's just tell the listeners how it is. So, what is one mistake you witness leaders making more frequently than others?
1: Ignoring the importance of policy. Uh, and I talked about that a little bit already, but for me, and I, I don't want to become overly obsessed with the idea of policy, but I, I think it is the core of everything you do. It determines your device refresh cycles, determines the plans you would want, determines your user education programs and what they can and can't do, you know, with traveling and so forth but without a, a clear and well-defined policy. Um, you will lack direction in, in kind of building the program.
0: Got it. What is the best or most worthwhile investment that companies can make this year to improve their global enterprise mobility management?
1: I think visibility is key. When, you, when you're working globally, um, you know, if you're working in one country with a single vendor, it, it's easy to kind of manage and look at. But when you've got multiple vendors across multiple countries, The complexity there and you need the visibility and often hard to get that visibility and there's lots of tools out there that allow you to pull all that data together and get that visibility across. you know what your users are doing and what devices and assets you have and how all those things tie together with contracts etc so um, investing in tools that give you visibility i think is, is key
0: so if multinational teams could get one thing right next year outside of policy which we established was very important what should it be
1: I think it's finding the balance of local versus global needs.
0: Mm, so, that's good.
1: you know, you've got all these countries are often when you have a global program run very independently from each other, and they're, they're serving the needs of different user groups, different markets, and they have that expertise. Um, at the same time, you often will have a centralised group who you know perhaps own IT globally, who want to try and streamline everything to a single process and. And neither are right or wrong, but a blend of the two where you take the local nuances and the local delivery expertise with kind of the global vision and the global um, tool sets. If you can get the balance of those two things right, it, it means a much more efficient and a better overall global user experience. All
0: right. Now, this is my most important question. Okay. American or European beer? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: where, where are the users, uh, listeners based?
0: Um, <laughs> all over, all over. So there's no right or wrong answer.
1: So I, I'm going to say European beer. Uh, of course I am. I mean, I, I, I think the pub in the village I live in uh, is older than the US as a country. So, you know, <laughs> c- clearly European beer has been uh, brewed for a little bit longer. Um, I, I will say that obviously there's been a huge rise in things like IPAs in the US over the last few years, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of IPAs. So I'm, I'm very happy with that, and, and please keep them coming. <laughs>
0: All right. You're such a good sport. Um, you know, so I think it will be interesting to see how everything plays out this year. You know, these, these periods of stagnation and instability, I think, are, are really trying for people. And I imagine that most professionals out there are just trying to survive, let alone kind of thrive right now. Um, you know, I'm excited. We have another discussion planned on data privacy and security. And I think it's another evolving update to this global landscape. So it should be great. Thank you again for joining me and have a great day. Angie, thank you. From all of us here at VMox, thank you for listening. Remember, mobile victory can be yours. Just trust in the experts. We'll see you next time on the road to mobile victory. To learn more, visit us at vmox.com or follow us on LinkedIn.